One of the ways. Hi everyone, welcome to Manager IQ's Manager Skills Corner podcast. Manager IQ's mission is to provide an online space where managers can access all the resources, learnings, and tools to build their manager toolkit, and also to provide you with a community of managers to lean on. This podcast is designed to bring experts in specific areas of management to share their knowledge and experience with the Manager IQ community. We share tips and tricks which you can implement into your management practice. For more information about Manager IQ and our products, check out our website www.manageriq.com. Now, let's check out today's episode. Hi all, hope you're well. Today we are discussing difficult conversations and our guest today is Gail Page. Gail is a skilled facilitator and coach who excels in assisting her clients to handle difficult conversations with ease and become more authentic, confident and empowered communicators. Combining her past experience as a psychiatric nurse and a social worker with her qualifications as a master coach in behavioral coaching and NLP, Gail has spent the last 25 years helping leaders and teams transform potential obstacles into pathways to success. Gail is known for her ability to successfully lead teams and organizations through transformational change. Her unwavering commitment to authentic communication using her heart of high performance approach make her an inspiration and empowering force to be reckoned with. Whether your team is struggling with change or they're seeking guidance on your personal growth journey, you'll be in safe hands with Gail. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you today. Um, me and Gail had a wonderful conversation. However, um, it probably went on for a little bit long for one episode. So we have decided to break it into two episodes. So this is part one, which will be discussing um, amazing topics such as, you know, what is difficult conversations and why is it important for managers to um, to have difficult conversations and lean into them. And then the second part, we're going to talk about how managers can assess how they are having conversations now, what is some structure to follow and any barriers and challenges that they can overcome. So let's get started with part one now. Hi, Gail. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? I'm fabulous. Thank you. It's a beautiful day here in New Zealand. What about you? Yeah, here in Melbourne, it's actually supposed to be 37 today, and it's actually going to be blowing a gale, funny enough. <laughs> I get around. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's windy and hot out there. So it's kind of like, uh, I guess people will be feeling like rotisserie chickens out there. <laughs> so it's great. But um, I appreciate you so much coming on the podcast. I've been looking forward to this conversation because we've been having ongoing conversations for a few months now, and I always enjoy them. Um, but one thing that I would say is that the amount of times that I have people asking advice around how to step into conversations that they're finding is going to or they're perceiving might be quite difficult or tricky um, is plentiful. So um, that's why I believe this podcast is going to make um, you know a difference for people out there who listen to it. Oh, that sounds fabulous. I'm, I'm all about helping people find their voice, speak their truth and step into their power. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I'm sure we'll tease that out over the, the coming podcast. Um, but why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself? I was obviously giving you a little bit of an introduction about yourself, but how did you become, I guess, known as the expert in the difficult conversation space? Um, somebody actually gave me the the, uh, <laughs> the nickname, the Queen of Difficult Conversations. <laughs> um, I wasn't always uh, as confident and as assertive as I am now. And this is sort of like 27 years in the making. And I was married to a serviceman. And a lot of it was about, you know, as a wife of, my behavior 
could impact his career. And there were many times, you know, a feisty Scotswoman who uh, was quite well known for uh, speaking her truth, gets married to someone in the services, and then I had to really pare that all back. And I think after a few years, I actually started to become a tiny bit passive aggressive because I was keeping my mouth shut on a lot of things, although people who knew me may not have thought that. <laughs> but for me, I was, I was really, really, um, yeah, I was giving my power away. That's what it felt like. And then I was at a party one night and this woman had been listening to me banter with one of the guys and she came up to me afterwards, which showed me I must have been passive aggressive. And she said, uh, Gail, I just wonder how your life could change if you learned how to be assertive. And off she walked. And my chin was on the floor because I'd never met the woman before. But I tell you what, that really sparked something in me. And I bought my first book on assertiveness, A Woman in Your Own Right. And I loved it, absolutely loved it. And then the more I read, the more interested I became and the behavioral side of it also uh, appealed to me because I was a psych nurse and a social worker in the former life. And I think all of that together helped me sort of find my voice again. And because I know how good I felt, I wanted to help other people feel that good. And then I got invited by a service manager that knew me when I was doing my social work training to come and facilitate a meeting with, um, let's just say, a team who were not communicating in the way that she would have liked. To which I said, no, because that's not what you need. You need me or somebody like me to come in, do one-to-ones, and then do team building based on that. Great, she says, when can you start? And I'm thinking, I've never done team building before, but I've run workshops, so hey, it can't be that hard. And that was it. 25 years ago, last month, I started my business and I've loved every single second of it. Yeah, I'm glad that the Queen of um, Difficult Conversations came up because I, I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm glad that it did because, um, <laughs> you know, and that, that just shows the experience that you've had and, you know, the... I guess, how people have experienced you as well in this space. Um, and I know that you've given me a couple of examples around some conversations that you've had, and I'll be like, wow, that was a great way of, of tackling that. Um, so, yeah, so I'm very keen to to explore some of these things as we go through the podcast. But what I like about what your story is telling us is that sometimes there's moments in our life that sparks a train of thought. So this lady coming up, she's saying, oh, you know, have you thought about, you know, how you could change if you're a bit more assertive? So that sparks a thought. Oh, OK, let me think on that a little bit. And what can I do? But then you started to, I guess, get yourself educated, developing this area, got an interest in it and started probably absorbing all of this information and then trying it out. So then getting the experience and learning from all of that. So it just goes to show you that it doesn't matter, I guess, where you're at in your management career. You can learn the stuff, you know, you can step into this conversation and um, or into the difficult conversations and it's not going to be easy. Sometimes it doesn't quite work out, but hey, it's a learning experience and we can all get we can all get there. 100 percent. I mean, I went on and did training in assertiveness. I didn't just sort of read a book and then, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then run workshops. Um, like you said, though, you know, I continue to hone my skills. I continue to read, to learn, to go on workshops, 
because even after 27 years of teaching assertiveness and 25 years of being in business, there are still times where I think, well, that didn't go quite as well as I would have liked. Mm. But it's looking at, okay, so it didn't go as well as I might have liked. If I was to experience that situation again, what would I do differently to get a different result? And recognizing the, the fact that there are many more positives than negatives. Yeah, mm. there are not, not so much positive and negative, but there's, there's more wins where I come out of it and I think, yeah, I did that good. Mm. Mm. And it's like anything, you know, when you, when you, you learn to drive, you don't hop in the driver's seat and switch the engine on and off you go. You know, you, you sort of you chug along. If you've got a, you know, um, is that a stick shift they call it over here? And you make mistakes and, you know, you have some near misses. Mm. But the more you practice, the more proficient you become. And the more proficient you become, the more confident you become. And people recognize that. You know, they pick it up in your energy. Mm. I know that I've worked with, when I first met them, they had had a horrendous time in their team. Because there's always one who will poke the bear and keep poking until they feel as if actually now I'm in charge. And when I said to him, you know, you can do this. And he, oh, because he really, he felt really as if he was lacking as a manager. I said, you know, we don't get taught this stuff at school. I wish we did. You know, if I had my way, Children as young as kindy age would get taught age-appropriate assertiveness because the kids who bully would have no need to because their self-esteem would be good enough. Because we, you know, we know that even corporate bullies, they bully because the only way they can make themselves feel good is to make somebody else feel bad. So the children who bully wouldn't have to, and the children who get bullied would have the tools and the self-esteem to stop it you know this should be taught all the way through school and all the way through university and it should be on every single management training out there anyway yeah. <laughs> no 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 worry it's such an interesting thing because you know in some way assertiveness and i'm not too sure if it's you know like a male female thing but assertiveness is always seems to be like a slight negative connotation to the word, right? But like what I'm hearing from you, there's actually a much more positive way. It's not about, you know, like shouting, shouting to the high heavens or, or something like that, or just asserting oh. your opinion. It's it's a lot different. So I wonder if you might want to, I guess, tease out the assertiveness piece in your mind so that we can ensure that if anyone else is feeling a bit like, well, what is that term? And, you know, should mm. can we see it in a more positive way? I think it could be quite helpful for our listeners. 100%. I think that, that what happens is that people think that being assertive is, you know, um, standing there and my way is the highway that we are going down. It's nothing to do with that. To me, the easiest way to describe being assertive is that you can share your perspective with other people with respect and you can listen to other people's perspective with respect, even when you disagree, in fact, especially when you disagree, being able to recognize that we all have different backstories, we all have different filters that we see the world through. 
And we all have different perspectives. And of course, we all think that that's the perspective. It's the truth. And of course, we know it's not. So I think it's about, to me, it's it's about showing the humanity that's in ourselves and seeing it in other people and recognizing that if we speak to somebody with respect, we show compassion and we have empathy, then is that not a wonderful way to show up in the workplace and in life in general? Mm, absolutely. I like that because if I play it back in my mind, it's it's about it's actually just about being more true to yourself in the sense that you share your opinion at the right time with respect um, and then listen to others' opinions with, like you say, respect. But it's making sure that you don't walk away from a conversation thinking, oh, I wish I said that or I um, I didn't really get that across well or I panned it to somebody else's kind of needs, emotions, whatever it might be. But it's yeah. actually, like you say, you mentioned in your when we first started, like stepping into your truth, you know, and, and giving yourself the power, because even if you've conveyed your your um, your opinion about a certain topic and even if the decision is made against your opinion, at least you feel that you've been heard, you know, and you don't walk away with with this uh, this thing. I wish I'd said something, you know. So I feel like I like that version that you're talking about with being assertive in that way, because I feel like actually that's giving me the power to actually, hey, maybe have a few more honest conversations or believe in yourself more that your opinion does count and so forth. And it's not necessarily that I'm going to push that opinion, but I am going to communicate it in a clear and respectful way. Exactly, and that's about finding your voice and giving yourself permission to find your voice. You know, if everybody felt good enough to find their voice and speak their truth and step into their power, I would be out of work. And you know something, I'd be really happy. I would be really, really happy if I was made redundant from doing this because the world would be a much, much happier place. It really would. I think one of the things that you said there, Lex, is that, you know, we we can walk away from a conversation and think, damn it, I wish I'd said this and I wish I'd said that. And not only has the conversation that we've just been in felt really negative, then we continue to beat ourselves up for days and weeks and months, sometimes years. If only I had done this, if only I had done that. And you cannot live like that, you know, and, and for me, being able to work with managers and helping them turn, the, look, at, look in the mirror and say, do you know something? We talk about difficult conversations, but the most difficult conversation you will ever have is the one that you have with yourself. Because that's the one that determines every other conversation that you have. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's so true, because I guess you don't even have the filter that you'd place on the conversations that you have with other people, because it's kind of it's inside your own head. So it's unfiltered. So you probably don't have that care that you would have about how you would articulate something to others, to yourself. So, yeah, I can I can see that 100 percent. And I think also, you know, we're we're all very good at making these mind movies and we're the we're the we're the, the writer of the script. We're the producer, we're the director. We set it up in um, surround sound and multicolor, or technicolor, that, that's the right phrase, technicolor. And then we play it out. And of course, we're the chief 
um, player, you know, we're, we're, we're the main actor, actress. And then we start acting as if everything's true. So that when we meet people, we've, we've made this amazing mind movie. We show up based on what we think is going to be the outcome. And often we're right because the mind movie is not a positive one. If we made mind movies up that had a positive outcome, now you're talking. Because that's part of the reason that people end up having difficult conversations because they don't know what outcome they want before they even start. It's crazy. If you go into a conversation and you do not know what outcome you want, how are you going to know when you've achieved it? And how's the other person going to know? We're excited to announce that we have the Manager IQ's Mastering Management Program. This is a 12-week online program delivered online by subject matter experts. We believe that in 90 days, we can help you have a self-discovery exercise where you can understand where you're at right now in your management practice and where you need to be. We'll provide you with the skills that's going to help you build your toolkit that you can learn now in the future. We'll also give you the ability to experiment in our management laboratories so that you can have the safe space to learn and embed all the different skills that you're learning throughout the program. We also want to make sure that you continue to grow and evolve by providing you with a peer support network through our Manager Mentor Hub community. We're so excited to bring this community and this program to life, and we can't wait to ensure that you have the capability, certainty and confidence to be the manager that you want to be. So come along and join us. Information is on our website at www.manageriq.com. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I think it's probably quite a good um, place to um, give the listeners a bit of an idea around what are we really talking about when we're talking about difficult conversations in the workplace? Because then that will anchor, I guess, the rest of the conversation. So we're all on the same page. Yeah, I think it, it's it's the kind of thing that. Um, let's look at a new manager. Who may actually be managing former peers. How does he or she set um, boundaries and expectations within the team and get the team to do the same thing? And then they start questioning themselves, you know, how are they going to perceive me? Are they going to think I'm, I'm trying to be autocratic? And once again, they start off in the mind movies. So often it can be simple as something as simple and as hard as setting expectations. But once again, because we haven't been taught this at school, if we're lucky when we do get um, leadership development, maybe it's mentioned. That's why I, I'm not a great fan of leadership development. I'm a fan of personal development for leaders. Because you can't coach a title. You can coach the person who has the title. Anything that is seen as a sensitive topic that can become emotional or taps into our own lack of self-belief or our lack of self-confidence can be seen as a difficult conversation, especially one where you think that emotions will run high, whether it's your own emotions or someone else's. It really doesn't matter though what level of management we're talking about. I have worked with everybody from emerging leaders to CEOs and exec teams. 
And I can tell you, every single one of them struggles with difficult conversations. It can be something as simple as someone coming in late. And the rest of the team are complaining about it. And you don't know how to you don't know how to address it. And when you think about it, you know, if somebody's turning up maybe 15 minutes late every single day and everybody else is at their desk, that has a massive impact on team morale and collaboration or lack of it. Because other people are thinking, well, hang on a minute, he's getting away or she's getting away with coming in late. We're all here early. And we're having to pick up the slack. And then they go to the manager and say, this is not right. You need to do something about that. And the manager sits and thinks, geez, how am I going to do this without them getting upset? And it can be as simple as saying to someone, I've noticed that for the last four days you've been coming in 15 minutes late, which is unusual for you. I'm just wondering, what is it I need to know? And how can I assist you to make sure that you turn up on time? It sounds simple. But the number of managers I have met that really, really struggle with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good example. And it's, it'll be interesting to figure out, like, I wonder how often, <laughs> like in this day and age, that becomes an issue, you know, because everyone's so much more flexible and everyone, you know, comes in to and from work. But I do like the example and particularly how you articulated, you know, the conversation, because it one, it sets an expectation that, you know, the expectation or the ritual in the team is that everyone comes in on time. However, there must be must be something that's happening at the minute that I don't quite understand. Help me to understand, and then I can help you to continue to meet the needs of the you know of the you know the rituals of the team or whatever it might need to be. So it's kind of like coming from a place of uh, one truth because you're you're dealing with a situation at hand, but but also of care because mm. you're respecting them and respecting that there is something going on, and it's not that they're just doing it because I think as well as what can play out in people's minds is that they're doing it because they're slack or, you know, or they've got bad time management, you know, like are you like you say, you play the mind movie out in your mind and you've already answered the question around why they're actually doing it. But really, you don't have the information to really do that. That's right. And the other thing that I find comes up a lot at all levels of management is you have meetings and often it's the loudest voice that's heard. And I've been sat in meetings with. I've been there just as an observer because, you know, my my coachee is part of it. And one of the things that we're, he's working on or she's working on is how to participate more in uh, meetings and raise their, you know, their, their um, presence. And I sat in a meeting with 17 senior managers and I had been introduced and I was told, you know, I said, I'm just here as an observer. Just ignore me. And they started the, the meeting. And before I knew it, it literally turned into a bitch fest about a manager who wasn't there. And I'm sat there listening, thinking somebody is going to say something soon. And nobody said anything. And it got to the stage where I just thought, nah, I'm not doing this. So I literally stood up, put my hands on the table, says, gentlemen, 
uh, I'm going to step out because I'm feeling decidedly uncomfortable because I know that if I was a person being spoken about, I would hate to think that my peers were doing that. And I'm sure none of you would like to be in that situation either. So when you finished, if you could get somebody to come and get me, I would really appreciate it. Guess what? I didn't have to step out of the room. Hmm. I never be so, oh, you know, because it's so easy to fall into. Somebody starts to say something and somebody else says, oh, yeah. And then, you know, we go on like that. I find that a lot of people will say, oh, that's just how John is. No, that's not just how John is. That's how John has been allowed to become. And when I say to them, so what has John said when you've spoken to him about the fact that he has a habit of interrupting people or talking over them? Oh, I haven't, uh, no, no, I haven't said anything. Well, it's just how he is. Seriously, he may not even know that he's doing this, yet he may be wondering why people are a bit awkward around him or he doesn't feel as if he belongs as much as perhaps other people do. Mm. Once again, though, it's the fear of the outcome. You know, what's going to happen? It's it's also feeling that they have inadequate skills. And avoidance only makes it grow. As you know, you know, one of the, the biggest areas of concern for me is the fact that toxic behaviours become toxic behaviours because things are not nipped in the bud. You know, bullying is not in your job description. Neither should it be. And if people stopped being a bystander, and I know why they're being a bystander, most of the time they're terrified they're going to be the next victim. However, if people had the training to be able to speak about behaviours that were going on in the team that don't sit right with them personally, doesn't fit with the, with the team values, then we'd be able to slam bullying. God, that sounds a bit strange, using, using. <laughs> like that. I feel so strongly about it, though. You know, there is no need for bullying in the workplace. If people had the skills, if they were given the training early, they would know what to do. Mm. Yeah, it's super fascinating because I think that even it's, I don't think we're there yet, but I do feel that as a society almost, like we are a bit closer, aren't we, for people finding their voice more. I know in my last organization, they actually did a whole bunch of bystander training and, um, and also they became a lot more ramifications for people who um, turned a blind eye um, against serious matters, you know, because obviously there's, you know, significant things can happen and, and you know, and people need to be seen that mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, like it's not the, the right thing to just sit by as well. But on the more positive side of that, it's around, you know, if you're feeling icky, you know, like that's, a, that's the easiest way of me thinking about it. If you're sitting there and you're feeling like something is really not living your values or whatever it is, you know, like what is the, the best way for you to convey that that is like you say respectful, but then you're still living your truth because then, you know, OK, well, you've shared your view like you did in that example that you provided. And 
if people want to continue, you're giving them, obviously, you you know, obviously this is your meeting, you can so do so, you know, and they can take the information as they like, but at least you're walking away still feeling okay about it in the yeah. end. And in the end, your intentions were in the right place as well. So that, that helps it even more, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was lucky that I could do that. Exactly. Because yeah. I wasn't actually involved. I know it's not nearly as easy as that if you're in a team. However, one of the reasons that I'm such a strong proponent of team values is because you can bring everything back to values. So, for example, if um, if I was talking in a meeting and John, poor John, he's got a bit of a bad rap, you know, he gets everywhere. And John interrupted me. All I would have to do is say, John. Help me understand how you talking before I had finished is living the value of respect. Now, that's all you're doing is help me understand how you starting to talk before I had finished is living the value of respect. Yeah. And it's such a learning like but I mean I'm thinking about myself and like my heart would be pumping if I said that, you know, like I could imagine the kind of bodily kind of feelings I'd be feeling about it, you know, because and I think I suspect that the more you step into having those sort of comments, conversations and so forth, that one is just helping that individual learn as well. Right. But, you know, you're because exactly. like you're they're they're hitting they're constantly it's kind of like a child. Right. They're kind of trying to flex and, you know, push boundaries and stuff like that. And people don't realize they're doing it because they're not being course corrected. Right. Them. Yeah. You so tell you're them. telling them. Exactly. So that's only, though, if they if they've done uh, team values. It's also, though, just about going up to, you know, I'm, I'm all for helping people save face. So I'm not saying you have to do that in the, in the meeting at all. There are times where it's helpful. There are times where it's not. And timing is everything. And also your knowledge of the person. Saving face, I think, is, is a gift that we can give to each other. Mm. Being able to talk to John afterwards and say to him, <coughs> excuse me, and being able to say to him, hey, you know, John, when you talked before I finished speaking earlier on, I felt really uncomfortable because I had a, a point I wanted to put across and I wasn't able to. That wasn't living the value of respect to me. So I would really appreciate it in future if you could wait until I finished, because I may actually say something that you may have been thinking about. Just wait until I finish before you share your point. And then that way, I'll be a lot more interested in your point of view as well. Is this something you can do? Yeah, great. And I think that, you know, one of the next questions we were going to ask, you know, why is it important for managers to have those difficult conversations? And one of the clear ones that kind of that you're saying here is that it's going to help define the culture that you want in your team. And that everyone is going to do. So and we had this saying that, you know, your culture is only as good as the bad behavior you accept. Um, So that's kind of what we're saying here is that if you don't course correct people, that becomes the new line. Right. And then the line gets pushed out and pushed out. So, um, you know, as a manager, you are the you know, like you're in a position where you are the. 
I don't know, as a curator of culture, I used to call myself the cultural fairy, you know, like I was the one that was kind of always making sure. (laughs) (laughs) It was because it was like, it was more like I I really truly believe that I needed to actively work on it and help the team, you know, to manifest something that was going to be suiting all of us. But I think that if you are able to step into those difficult conversations, you are going to help you know, help with your culture, help people um, understand the expectations that they can thrive um, on as well. Mm. And um, I'm sure there's multiple other reasons why you think having difficult conversations is important for managers. Um, I don't know if there's any that you want to add to the list. I think it's important because if managers have a conversation, it doesn't have to become difficult. You know, I keep saying to people, I've worked with a manager. Well, I worked with a with a um, an exec team, and and one of the the managers says to me, "I don't know why I have to be on this." He said, I, "You know, I don't know why I have to do this workshop because I have difficult conversations all, all the time." I said, "Well, there you go. There's your answer." And he sort of looked at me, and I said, "You know, the aim is for just to have a conversation before it becomes a difficult one." You know, deal with something when it's the size of a grain of sand. Because if you leave it, it becomes this huge boulder. You know, and and it's, it's, to me, I am such a believer that if we can have these conversations early, we maintain respect for each other. We become more resilient. We maintain the mental health which is so important in these days, more so than ever before. You know, not being able to have conversations that are running around in our minds. We're losing sleep. We don't want to go into the office if we're all back in the office. We don't even don't want to show up for meetings because even if it's on Zoom, we still, or Teams, we still have to look at that person. And we're telling ourselves all these stories because we didn't deal with something early the best way to make sure that you look after the well-being of your team is to give them some form of coaching some form of training around assertiveness because when you know how to be assertive you can set boundaries and expectations because if you don't give them that training first they don't know how to address it when people step over their boundaries or don't live up to expectations then you've got your values. You can bring everything back to values. And when everybody lives the values of the team and the organisation, that's when you have a team that values the people that work there, whose main focus is on building healthy relationships. And that's what will make sure that people maintain their mental health. Yeah, I love that. I love that, you know, you know, like that thought bubble around healthy relationships, you know, like healthy doesn't mean that it has to be positive all the time. No. You know, not, not saying like having these conversations is a negative thing, but we don't have to just be bigging people up. What we need to be doing is teaching them and growing them and developing them so that they can thrive in that environment and then other environments that they kind of go into as well, because everything is, you know, every experience is a learning experience for somebody. So give them the gift, you know, like, you know, as a, you know, as a, I guess, in my HR career, the amount of times that we'd have conversations with people um, when we were supporting managers 
and you could tell that they're this is the first time they're hearing some of the feedback and we're almost in a bit of a formal perfor- performance process and us having to talk a manager back from that to say actually we haven't done what we should here and yeah. um, because you haven't had these conversations and um, it's quite interesting because um, you know we did a podcast um, on having the right conversations at the right time and it's exactly what you said there it's around have them early you know, like that's the biggest thing is if you can have conversations early, course correct early, they're going to be back on track rather than heading down the track that, you know, is going to get them to something that's more serious and become a much more difficult conversation. And they'll end up talking with their feet and you will leave your, you will lose your best people. Mm. And, you know, I'm all for um, vigorous debate, you know, and, and, Sometimes it can be difficult, and that's great. That's because that's where new ideas come from. Um, being able to bandy ideas around and, and put them on the table, knowing that no idea is a bad idea, mm. and then everybody being able to go through them and and feeling free to express how they feel about it, because everybody knows that they're going to do it with respect. And you know, one of the phrases that I would love to ban in teams, I'd love to ban it everywhere, is I don't agree with you. Because it's one of those those phrases that I have seen rile people up like you would not believe, well, you would, haven't been a manager, <laughs> seeing people get so riled up because you can almost read their mind as if they go, what do you mean? You don't agree with me. What's wrong with my idea? I've got a very good idea. And all that's going on in the background. Whereas if they just said to the other person, thank you for sharing that. I have a different perspective I would like to share with you. Are you open to hearing it? Then we're all innately nosy. So, of course, we want to hear it. So much simpler. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And, uh, you know, we're we're such complex beings, aren't we, really humans, you know, but... When it comes down to it, I think that you've touched on a really good point there around... You know, the culture needs to be there to support not just the manager having these conversations, but everyone having these conversations. Exactly. And going about it in the right way. So it doesn't matter if it's the manager, if it's your peer, if it's someone, you know, the apprentice, whoever it might be. You're all empowered and, like you say, trained, enabled to be able to um, have those conversations um, early with the right intention and with respect. Exactly. And I think I, I feel really, really sorry for managers. I really do, because, you know, they're the dumping ground. People will go, uh, this is not working, John. I need you to do something about it. Well, half the time, the poor devils don't know what to do about it. And they'll turn around and say, just sort it out amongst yourselves. The number of times I have heard that from the people who are being managed and from the manager themselves saying, I don't know what to do. And everybody's coming at me. And in the end, I just say, go sort it out yourself. And he says, I know they would sort it out themselves if they knew how, but it's just to give myself some breathing space. And you are so right, Lex. It's about everybody in an organisation, everybody in a business, having those skills. Because that way, everybody shows up knowing that they'll be listened to, they will be heard and understood. Mm. What a wonderful place to work that would be, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, yeah. And and I don't think that, you know, it's it's not impossible. You know, like it's, I don't want people to sit oh. here listening, thinking, okay, well, that sounds like it's a fairy tale kind of workplace. It's actually not impossible. It's just about you know, having good, clear team values and the behaviors that support that and then continue to, I guess, reinforce that by um, the behaviors that you show up with, as well as the, um, I guess, the conversations you have when, you know, something within that environment doesn't quite meet those values or behaviors. That's right. And it's consistency as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am such a firm believer in boundaries and expectations. I really am. You've heard me going about this before. (laughs) And having those boundaries and expectations that everybody agrees to, it's about us all keeping ourselves accountable. It's about personal accountability, personal responsibility. And if every single one of us turned up to work determined we were going to do our best to maintain the values of, of the team, and to be clear about our boundaries and expectations and not have elastic expectations, because that's another thing that causes issues in teams is people don't know where they stand. And if everybody, from the first day you walk into that role to the day you walk out of the role, that's what, that's what builds a culture where people thrive. And if people thrive, the business thrives. It's kind of like a no-brainer, eh? Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's getting better. It is getting better. And the more people put it into practice, the better it will get. And not only does it benefit us, it benefits our children. It benefits. It has a ripple effect out into the community. Mm. I don't know about you, but I know, although my daughter is one heck of a lot older than your son. Knowing that my daughter had the tools to be able to find her voice even in difficult times and feel confident enough and self-assured enough to be able to speak her truth. It's so wonderful seeing people step into their power and doing it in a way that promotes a healthy culture and healthy relationships. Yeah, I love that. I love that kind of wide reaching impacts it can have, not just on the workplace, but on your personal life. So that's definitely some lessons learned and some things to consider. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you have any feedback or would like us to deep dive on a specific skill, please email us at hello at manageriq.com. Thanks very much. Have a good day.